You know it's Thursday, so there's no reason, Dan Nathan, to look at your watch, because when you hear that music, you know it's 1046. It is 1046. I'm Guy Adami, here with my dear friend, Dan Nathan. Today's episode is brought to you by our presenting sponsors, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by Tomorrow, Dan, and Open Exchange. They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan Nathan. How are you today? Yeah, speaking of top companies, here we are. We're doing this for a virtual meeting that matters online, 1046. Every Thursday, guy, we do it here, man. Um, this is exciting. I love it. I get I, so geeked up for this. I tell you something. I, it's I, Wednesday nights, I'm like, I, I am excited about Thursdays at 1046. And we got some really cool things we want to discuss, Dan. You know what we want to discuss first? A legend in our world, Jeremy Grantham. Now, I know this probably twerks you a little bit. But Jeremy Grantham is saying this is a classic finale, finale to an 11-year bull market. And why should we care about some, some 82-year-old dude that thinks, you know, that the, the, the world's all bubblicious? Well, I mean, he has made a couple good calls in the past. Yes, he I think, has. Exactly. I, I, think, I think the term bubble, and I think a lot of our listeners or viewers right now, when, when we hear that term as it relates to financial markets or risk assets, you start to think of something that is unworthy, right? It's unholy. It's something that's going to eventually pop and leave devastation. I, I'll just say this. You know, I started the markets guy in the late 90s, and all we heard was the bubble, the bubble, the bubble. The bubble kept on getting bigger and bigger and bigger for years, and there was a lot of money to be made. Now, um, you know, again, you know, uh, Mr. Grantham, you know, and I don't like to disrespect my elders, although I do do it to you, I think almost every day here. Um, you know, it might be early. I don't know. I look at late stage as a late stage equity rally. I don't know about you, but if I look at the NASDAQ and the S&P 500, they've been consolidating. They just broke out, man. They look pretty healthy. They're not parabolic like we saw um, off the lows in March 2020. Now, we're going to look at the charts in a second, but we should listen to Jeremy Grantham. And he's yeah. the first person to tell you that, look, you know, when he makes calls like this, he's not suggesting it's going to happen in the next 10 minutes or for that matter, for yeah. the next few months. I mean, he's he says all the time that calls like this are typically early. He's just pointing out what he thinks is the inevitable. And I happen to agree with him. We actually started our careers together. So I'm, I'm quite, you know, <laughs> quite fond of his work. But with that said, I think you have to listen to him. Now, he's not speaking, again, in a vacuum. There are a lot of people that have echoed some of these sentiments. So there seems to be this groundswell of people saying, hey, folks, Things look great right now, but below the surface, as you would say all the time, underneath the hood, there's some problems. And he says, listen, Bitcoin, and we'll talk about Bitcoin in yeah. a second as well, resembles the NASDAQ in 2000. I think we all remember the NASDAQ in 2000, Dan David. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, it, it's kind of ironic in a way because the NASDAQ in 2000, I mean, some of the biggest companies in the world were, were leading the NASDAQ in 2000. Now, some of the biggest companies back then, the, the Lucents and some of these other things have fallen by the wayside, Nortel and that sort of thing. I'll just mention this, you know, Grantham also talks about meme investing. Um, there's also a commentary about interest rates. And I know you have a lot of thoughts there. What I find most interesting and in his analysis or in this interview on Bloomberg, he talked about just the short-lived nature of the bear market during the pandemic. And, and sadly, Guy, and whether you like it or not, and, and I know that you kind of have a lot to say about price distortions and, and price discovery by the Fed policy. I mean, we literally had a month and a half bear market mm -hmm. in the face of the worst economic and health crisis the world's seen in 100 years. So I just don't know how the Fed is going to allow prolonged bear markets in in risk assets like equities that when they do slump, they do cause a negative wealth effect. And that does, you know, affect their policy or how they think about the economy. 
Yeah, and I'm not looking to go down this rabbit hole at 1046 this no. morning on a beautiful Thursday. Although you look, you're clearly leading me that way, but I don't want to do it. I think instead of me getting exorcised here, because yeah. I am in a very good mood, I think we should take a look at some charts that will illustrate some of the things that you said about not being parabolic, actually being extraordinarily orderly. And here we are with the S&P 500. As we're speaking, your hungry alligator is, continues to be very hungry because this sucker <laughs> continues to make new highs in a very orderly fashion, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, and I think what you when you use that, that term orderly, you're really talking about these pushes higher, these consolidations, these breakouts, these pushes higher. They don't feel like, and, and one of the other things, we've talked about it on 1046 over the last few weeks or so, we're seeing some very steady rotations, right? And we saw that after the Fed, out of financials, out of resources, out of some energy names, that sort of thing, back into mega cap tech. So that's kind of feeling that. And I look at that uptrend, you can draw a lot of really nice lines in that uptrend in the S&P 5. I just drew the one um, from late March here. You see a massive air pocket below that uptrend down to, I don't know, 3,800 or so. That's yep. where that 200-day moving average is. And again, you tell me, we're going to talk about earnings expectations later in the show here. Is that the thing? Have expectations gotten too high? Have valuations gotten too high? And Grantham talks about valuation. Any thoughts on valuation on the S&P 500 here? Well, in, in, in the interest rate environment that we find ourselves in, as the Fed has said, evaluations really don't matter. Although they said that when interest rates were 1% in a 10-year, now they're closer, obviously, to 1.5%. I think as things, you know, as we get closer to 2%, which, by the way, I think we're headed towards, I think you're going to start to have more of a fine point in terms of valuations, whether they matter or not. And the line you drew, that 200-day moving average, they sort of line up right around this 3,800 level. And a lot of people think that that's sort of a foregone conclusion. But with each passing day, um, it gets harder and harder to justify that. So do valuations matter? Yes. Do they matter right now? No. Which brings us to the next chart, which actually even looks better than this, the NASDAQ. Because as you know, Dan Nathan, there are no triple tops. Although this looks like one right now, I'm not sure it's going to look like that for long because we're going to have these mega cap, the F mega complex report within the next month or so. And my sense is uh, this sucker is going to break out to new all time high. Yeah, it feels like it could do that in the quarter end. We have another week into the quarter, and then we're not going to have um, earnings for another few weeks. So maybe there is a little um, runway there for these stocks to break out and continue to go higher. The only thing, as I say, this guy, as we think about um, you know guidance for Q3 and comparisons, we're going to talk a little bit about that later. You know, I, I'm, that's not a great setup for those stocks. And if we remember into Q1 earnings in April, a lot of those companies, the Facebook, the Microsoft, the Apple, the Google, the Amazon, they put up really great numbers the stocks didn't rally afterwards so the higher they go in front of earnings is the lower they might go after but i agree with you that nasdaq chart looks like it's ready to party this summer buddy i you know <laughs> that term just makes me you know you're trying to make me crazy in the first you know five minutes you're making me nuts i'm not gonna i'm not gonna take the bait by the way i really appreciate these charts by fact said it illustrates that 200 day moving average yeah. right at this 12,750 level which again seems seems just sort of eons away but things happen quickly as you know but i will submit this there are no triple tops my sense is if you're asking me you have this breakout to the upside it exhausts itself and then maybe we do a back and fill of the trend line which again now takes us to our next chart dan nathan which yeah, i know so you'd like to talk about because this is your baby well, let's talk about the Bitcoin. Not exactly my baby, but I take a specific interest in it. You know, listen, we know what the range is. It couldn't get through that 42,000 level um, last week. We saw a precipitous drop to below 30,000. That 40,000, 30,000, that is the range. That 
you break that 30,000 of the downside and the next pocket, it's just literally down to 20,000, which was the December 2017 high. And then we saw what, an 80 some percent um, decline from the peak there into its lows in 2020. But then it was also a breakout level, big breakout level in December, 2020. So just keep an eye on that one from a sentiment standpoint, because the more guys like Grantham who come out and say that this is like NASDAQ 2000, the more people are going to look at it and the more that other risk assets may start to trade off of it. Yeah. And before we get to our first analyst call, um, past resistance in the form of that 2017 December high becomes support. And yeah. a lot of people, specifically Carter Worth, thinks we're going to visit it. No, by the way, when we we're trading 28,000, seemingly 36 hours or so ago, it looked like a foregone conclusion. Now, in TV talk, um, there's something called re-racking. And we had this show all lined up, but we had a re-rack it today because D.A. Davidson came out with a number of initiations that we want to talk about, two of which I think are really interesting, Dan. They initiated PayPal and Square, both as buys. The first one I want to talk about is PayPal. PayPal is flirting with that all-time high, I think of 309.14 or so from February 16th. They report on July 28th. D.A. Davidson put a $325 price target on it. I like this call. Before we get to Square, what's your sense in terms of this PayPal call? Listen, you know, this is initiation. So, you know, it's probably a new analyst there. It just kind of highlights, you know, what is a very widespread bullish thesis on PayPal. And guy, I don't know if this one creeped up on you or not. This thing has a market cap equal to that of Bank America. It literally mm -hmm. has a 345 billion. I mean, that is truly astounding when you think about it. And really, this call is about disrupting all the bullish calls on Square and PayPal right now are about disrupting the incumbents and the changing behavior, the pull forward during the pandemic. Pandemic. We're going to a, a pretty much a cashless sort of society. Their, um, you know, their adoption of uh, crypto and that sort of thing. There's a lot of things going on with both of these companies. I'll just say this again. Can we go to the PayPal chart really quickly, guy? I mean, this thing has been in a very volatile range this year. It's had numerous peak to trough declines, the consistent of, you know, the sorts of things that you might call corrections or even crashes off of that high. I just worry if you get back to your 314 uh, level or so prior to earnings what the heck can they do or say that gets the stock breaking out of that sort of range? And that range, guy, is 235, basically, yeah. to 315. It just seems like a massive range. It does. It does. But you look at this, you know, we did what we needed to do on the downside here. And I yeah. would submit, I look at this chart and I say, we're, they report on July 28th, I believe, yeah. Dan. And I think they're going to test, they being PayPal, it's going to test that February 16th high of 309 and change. So, I think this continues to rally into earnings. It's something to watch. 325 price target is interesting. The next one, of course, if you want to throw the square chart up, I think this is even more interesting because you already made that double top, and here we are. I will tell you, and I think you may agree with this, squares become a bit of a Bitcoin play as well. And I think yeah. Jack Dorsey a while ago tweeted out about potentially making a hardware wallet for Bitcoin. I think that got people excited, but then obviously Bitcoin crashed. But I like this call as well because, as I've said a number of times, there are no triple tops. And it feels as though Square is going to get to that 275 price target that D.A. Davidson put on it, Dan Nathan. It's pretty interesting, Guy, how quickly, you know, Jack Dorsey went from being like the bane of, of Twitter Twitter and Square's dual existences. Remember, there were people calling for him to, there's activists who got involved. Mm -hmm. He can't be the CEO of both companies. Well, here you go here, man. I mean, his adoption of crypto and his belief around what it means for the future of, you know, the financial system um, on the internet 
internet is really, I think, like you said, guy, I think it's a big, um, one of the big bull cases um, for the stock here. Again, this is expensive stock. I mean, you know, it is. With, that, with that market cap, I mean, people don't care about the valuations in these disruptors right now, um, but they will after the fact, right? They will once the certain things, um, metrics plateau, that sort of thing. So listen, I like both these calls. I, I think the guy is just saying, hey, listen, I'm a buy. I'm not a sell on these things. Um, the, the, some of these kind of secular shifts are in play. They're multi-year. They've been in play for multiple years here. Um, you know, again, if these get back to the prior highs into their earnings next month, I'm not sure you plan for a breakout. No, I, I agree with that. And I do, I think, I think Square reports on August 4th, if I'm not mistaken, I think yeah. the prior all-time high in February was 283 and change. We obviously challenged that in April. You saw the significant sell-off. Maybe it coincided with the Bitcoin move. I'm not necessarily sure, but this is one that did test the 200-day moving average and it seemingly bounced off it. So two really interesting calls that we had to re-rack, Dan. You love that term? I used it twice now, our show for, which brings us to our second call today, Dan Nathan. Wells Fargo reiterating their Netflix is overweight, $700 price target. You can read about what they're saying. What's interesting, we're going to put a Netflix chart up. I want to hear your thoughts first. Netflix has really not done anything in a year now, which is fascinating. Yeah. I've said a number of times that I think Reed Hastings is one of the most underrated CEOs, not only in the country, but on the planet. Uh, but this stock has been nowhere, man, the, to quote a Beatles song for quite some time now, Dan Nathan. Yeah, listen, and I think a lot of it has to do with what I think the analyst is saying with this call in a way. It's going to be transitioning from growth to GARP, growth at a reasonable price here. And I'm not sure the price is reasonable. I mean, the longer um, that it goes sideways and maybe if earnings start to tick up a little bit, it becomes um, a little more reasonable. I guess the issue really has been those user, user growth expectations and the volatility of them quarter to quarter. Now, the pandemic made some very difficult compares when people had nothing to do and nowhere to go, that sort of thing. And therefore, it kind of, um, you know, gets a little tougher from here on out. That was one of the reasons why that stock gapped down after their Q1 report and their Q2 guidance. That being said, I think that range, let's go to the chart here, Guy. I before we go to the chart, whoa. before we go to the chart, I'm just telling you folks playing our home <laughs> game now, we're going OT. We're going past 11, just so you know. So don't get all exercised. It's going to happen. Anyway, Dan, please continue. Yeah, no, I, and so again, I mean, this is basically they're saying this is going to go, it's re-emerging as an earnings growth company, and that's how you kind of start to justify this valuation, better monetizing uh, the users that they do have. Um, you know, look at that, guy. This is a two-year chart here, and just look at the volatility mm -hmm. you know, between that kind of 470 level and 570 level or so, um, but that's a fairly tight range if you think about it. Um, if you were to zoom that chart out and look over the last five years or so, um, to me, down in that 470 area, I think you play it for a bounce to fill in that gap because you've had every other quarter where I think, again, Reed Hastings does not mind telling it to you straight, right? If they are going to see massive deceleration in user growth the next quarter, he tells you the stock gets hit, it wallows down here, it's right at that 200-day moving average, you know, or just above it right here. I think you play this one for a gap fill back to 550. And I like the fact that they're coming out now, reiterating it. Obviously, it's at the lower end of the range. Yeah. They have a $700 price target. You know, we'll see what happens. I've liked Netflix for a while, although, listen, for the last nine months, it's really been hard to justify being bullish as the broader market's only gone higher and Netflix has only gone sideways. Uh, let's go to the next call because we're starting to really dig this guy. 
I mean, can you speak about Mr. Butters? Because he does tremendous work for FactSet. Yeah, he does. He, so he has that earnings insight. It comes out Friday. He's their uh, senior earnings analyst, John Butters here. And he gives us a, a preview of what he's coming out um, for 1046. It comes out on Friday morning. So here, he just got one for the road here, man. He's saying 66 of the S&P 500 companies have issued positive ET EPS guidance for Q2. We've been tracking some of the earnings revisions. He um, had a report out a couple weeks ago talking about the highest Q2 earnings revision since 2002 so now he's saying that um you know the final if 66 is the final number okay 66 of those 500 be the highest since facts and began tracking the guidance in 2006 again this just comes down to me guy very simply as expectations because if you have companies confirming right that higher guidance then the street starts adjusting their numbers investors start having um greater expectations it makes it that much harder to perform after the results are out yeah, remember, we're coming. you think about year over year, the comps we're looking at. I mean, pretty easy comps. You go, I mean, there are a lot of things that work here. I mean, this is just, this is great work by Mr. Butters, but I'll tell you, you can look at the numbers through any lens you want, Dan Nathan, as they say, depending on your dogma. So take this with, as they say, a grain of salt, but great work by John Butters, which brings us to our summary of today's 1046. But I love that. Bubble expert, Jeremy Grantham. There are no experts, folks, but Jeremy Grantham's been doing this a long time. I think you should read what he said or listen to what he said. Classic finale to the bull market. D.A. Davidson this morning initiated a bunch of payment stocks, including Square and PayPal. Dan and I like them both. Wells Fargo reiterating their $700 price target. Bullish play on Netflix. Look, I like this call because you know what? They're getting, they're sort of sticking it out there as Netflix has not traded particularly well over the last years. And one for the road, Dan Nathan. Good guidance by Mr. Butters of said, Give me your final parting words before we get out of here, Dave. Yeah, I'll just say this, that I saw a tweet this morning by Lizanne Saunders. She's Schwab, TD Ameritrade strategist. And I just want to say, um, I just want to reiterate it here. Non-profitable tech stocks have reasserted some dominance this month and are outpacing the S&P 500 by 10%. So that kind of feeds into a little bit about what Mr. Grantham is saying when you think about it, rising tides, lifting all boats here. So it's really easy for us to say, oh, that's a great paper call. That's a great square call. Um, I'd much rather buy things like Netflix that are down and out and maybe expectations are low than where they're high. Um, so that's kind of my take on that. But I don't love seeing that sort of outperformance in unprofitable tech stocks. I like what you did there. Businessman special today in the Bronx. Yankees playing uh, the Royals of Kansas City. Game seven in Tampa tomorrow. The Islanders got off the mat last night. Good for them. Today's 1046 has been brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Backset. Financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And of course, Dan, Open Exchange, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan, give me your quick goodbye and we'll see you next week, brother. Thanks a lot, Guy Adami. Just enjoy that walk-off situation in, in the Bronx last night, Guy. I said to you, you know, what, what was wrong with that? You're like, well, wake me up in October. Come on, buddy. Enjoy the summer baseball, all right? I'll see you next week. Yeah, buddy. Bye.